Welcome to the Living Parables Podcast, where we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the sanctifying work of God's Holy Word. I am Nate, your host. To all listeners tuning in, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate all of you. Now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new week, brand new episode. Today marks the second sermon on the series, To Each Their Own. This is part two. I pray that it blesses you and helps you in your walk with our Lord. So that being said, remember everything is in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ. Until next time, God bless you all. Morning. Welcome to Eastside Christian Church. Uh, we also want to welcome those online. Doesn't the parking lot look uh, awesome today? I had a little a moment of panic this morning. I was the first one here, not to brag. But they had parking cones blocking. I'm like, uh-oh. What are we supposed to do? I guess we can just do it outside. So I moved them. I stepped out. I was like, okay, all right, we're good. And then proceeded to uh, kind of do the normal routines here. And uh, we also want to pray for those people who are traveling, members of our congregation. Many people are traveling, so we want to pray for them. But also, I know that they're listening, but Justin Simons did a great job last week with his sermon about in context. And yeah, so he was teasing me a little bit up here, which I'm fine with. And he mentioned about something about my wife saying that I rule. Here's the update on that. Hasn't happened. So the, the, the struggle continues. But, uh, he said something that was, that was powerful about staying in context. And that's what we're going to try to do this morning. So his daughter Hannah said something too. That talk about what we pulled from their sermon. His daughter said every sermon should be about sheep. So I texted him this morning. I said, Ask and you shall receive. So we're at part two on this, and I hope that you are really blessed with it this morning. So we're at to each our own part two. And I want to make it really simple for everybody. We're going to be in Ezekiel 34 and Psalm 23. So we're going to not be jumping all over the place. I will be, but that's okay. So with that, we're going to continue on in the sermon that we did two weeks ago. And remember, we looked at some characteristics of sheep. And we also looked at what the shepherd does for us. And those five things that the shepherd does for us, cares for the sheep, protects the sheep, feeds the sheep, leads the sheep, and gives his life for the sheep. And the verse that we used was Isaiah 53, 6, which says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him. I don't want to start with uh, finger pointing, but all of us at one point know somebody or a group of people that have straight off the path. <clears throat> and we're not going to be focused on that necessarily, but we're going to be focused on, on the false shepherds today, or at least half of this. So if you were a sheep in the care of a bad shepherd, uh, you would be, you'd be in some great peril. The voices that we listen to 
have a major impact in our decision making, and that can either lead to sanctification or damnation. Last week in our men's study, we've been really hitting Galatians really hard. We finished the third chapter, and we were talking about these these false shepherds that came in, these false teachers that would come in and would preach a gospel contrary to what what God's gospel is. And Paul describes it perfectly in Acts 20, 29. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Today we're going to look at a prophecy in in, uh, in Ezekiel 34 that talks about those those shepherds and kind of the... uh, ramifications of having those bad shepherds leading the flock, which will also tie into John 10 that we did two weeks ago. So turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel 34. Now, we're not going to go through all this entirely. You'll have a little bit of homework for today. But we're going to start with verses 1 through 6. They should be up on the screen, I believe, so you can follow along there as well. Here's what. Let's start out. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You should eat the fat, or you, excuse me, you eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The disease, you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and severity you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and it became food for every beast of the field, and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to seek, excuse me, search and seek for them. So, our first point here, and your outlines, the prophecy shows us false shepherds and their danger to the sheep. See, these false shepherds were feeding themselves. They were not strengthening the sickly. They did not heal the disease. They had not broken or bound the broken the bound up. They have not brought back the scattered. Matthew 23, 1-4, our Lord Jesus says this, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they would tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say these things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burns and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. See, this is the fruit of selfishness and self-righteousness every word that you speak every action you take has a ripple effect on someone else's soul and another fun fact about sheep is sheep become very distressed when other sheep are out of control or being selfish and we must be careful with that see in, in hebrews chapter 11 verses 24 through 26 says this By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. See, the false shepherds, they were all about instant gratification. 
And here's the, here's the situation here. Ecclesiastes says the best. There's nothing new under the sun. There are many, many false shepherds in this world. There are many false teachers that lead, lead, lead many people astray. And how do we stay on the path? Right here. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we'll be emphasizing that quite a bit today. But the hard part, and when we have to look in the mirror, is that a lot of us know the scriptures so well, yet we forsake Christ for the temporary pleasures of sin. And one of my exhortations is, do not forsake the eternal for the temporal. Don't trade the eternal for the temporary. Nothing and no one in this life is worth Jesus saying to you, I never knew you. So going back to Ezekiel 34, we're going to look through verses 11 through 15. And it says this, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the high, heights mountain of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock. I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. Now, let me just say this. Isn't that comforting? That God is going to seek out his own. Isn't that comforting? Because if we were in the care of false shepherds, our doom would be the same as theirs. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But the second point here, the prophecy shows us God will search and seek his lost sheep. If you go back to John 10, which we're not going to do that this morning, but you can do that in your own time. If you notice, the Pharisees were complete opposition of Christ. If you read through the book of John, I don't know how many times it says it, but they were looking to kill him, looking to take him out constantly. And he's there, and here's the the thing. They thought he was the enemy. He's their only hope. So they're opposing their only hope. And they're also their greatest threat because he is our judge. So I want you to jump to verse 23 and 24 in, in Ezekiel 34. Because this is something that really got me excited when I read this. Listen to 23 and 24. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them, and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. Verse 24 says, And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. David lived roughly about 350 years before this. So who's he talking about? The son of David, the Messiah. Everything in Scripture always, always, always 
points to Christ. It always points to Christ. So point number three is the prophecy shows us God will give the sheep the good shepherd to deliver the sheep to salvation. And that happened so many thousands of years prior. Here we are today. Jesus is our good shepherd. So what of these false shepherds? What's going to happen to them? So we actually have to jump backwards to verse 16. I know for the sake of it, I trust me, I was trying to make it all sound sound good. But listen to verse 16, though, in Ezekiel 34. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. Now, pause here for just a quick second. God is going to fulfill what the false shepherds couldn't do. But listen to the end of verse 16. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. So the last point here, the prophecy shows us that the false shepherds will be judged. Now, all those false shepherds and those who willingly follow them, their fate is sealed. The terrifying aspect of this is in Hebrews 10.31. It says it is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. So it all goes back to our words, our actions, everything we do, our motives for being here this morning. It all goes back to it. Where is your heart at? What is your desire? What is your passion? Is it God's word? Is obeying him? Or is it something else? Now all that we have to answer that really for ourselves. But I'm going to throw you a little a little nugget here. So we've read up to verse 24. So we're finished with Ezekiel 34 for now. And I want you to compare John 10 to Ezekiel 34. It's, it's really wonderful. We don't have enough time to do that here this morning. But in verses 10 through 31, I will appears 22 times. God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. And why does he tell us that? Isaiah 55, 11 says, so will my word, which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God will do what he says and will accomplish whatever he says. Do you believe that this morning? We all have to answer that for ourselves. Do you believe that? And he will accomplish everything according to his will. So for the remainder of the time that we have, now we're going to switch over to Psalm 23. This is a very beloved psalm. It's quoted many, many times. It's probably some people in this room. It's one of your absolute favorites. Now, for the time that we have here this morning, when we look at it, I, I pray that, that this would encourage you, that you would get some uh, deeper and clearer understanding of this psalm. Because when I went through it, I mean, we could be here for hours. We could be here till like 5 o'clock if you want to. Um, probably not. But we're going to go through this. Very, very familiar words. But let's have, let's kind of open up our spiritual ears this morning and hear it with fresh ears. Because it is, it's easy at times to listen to scripture and say, well, I've heard that before. I already know what that means. So let's look at it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If the Lord is your shepherd, 
We are under his care, his control, and his guidance. I quote this all the time. Luke 6.46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? That is very convicting. It's about obedience to the shepherd. It's about following the shepherd. The sheep are required to follow. Unless we're using Christ for our own personal gain, but that's a different sermon. We must be completely and utterly content with our submission to Christ. To his will and to his word. Our good shepherd laid down his life for us, and in return, we are to be a living and holy sacrifice to God. So, the uh, last points here on this outline number one is Jesus purchased the sheep with his blood, and we are no longer our own. You were bought at a price, and we are no longer to live for ourselves. We live for him. We live for his glory alone. And here's the other thing. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And with that privilege, we ought to conduct ourselves daily as such. And with such knowledge, the Lord is my shepherd. Shouldn't that excite us? Shouldn't we be thrilled to be under his care, his His guidance? I shall not want. What does that mean? That means it, that comes from the realization that God is our whole focus. That, and if that's the case, we'll never be lacking. Having the things of this world left us wanting. Think about it. Jobs, hobbies, cars. Mine makes this weird tapping noise. It's only my son to fix it. All these things leave us wanting. And, and let me just say this. not my notes here, but... Have you ever pursued something of the world, maybe when you're younger, maybe last week, who knows, and you really, really wanted it, and you thought, man, this is going to make me feel so good when I do it, and you do it, you're like, that's it? Oh, oh on to the next thing. But if Jesus is your all in all, your soul will be satisfied. And here's the amazing part about this, and I, and I love this so much, is we are lacking, or we're never lacking because Jesus is our everything. And what's amazing about our good shepherd, he provides everything that the sheep need. Which brings us to verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters or still waters. Now, I have to say this here. Um, these next few verses are going to be so incredibly powerful. So I hope I hope that we're completely focused, and I, and I pray that I speak this right, so it helps you in your walk with the Lord. But in the last sermon, we talked about how shepherds leave their sheep out front, and they do that for a few reasons: to clear the danger, to lead them to pasture or water, or to a different place. So we're going to get that here in a little bit. But here's the amazing part about sheep, is sheep will absolutely refuse to lay down unless they're free from all fear. This could be problems with other sheep, parasites, and we joked about this two weeks ago, even the sound of running water, it spooks them. If they are not free from every single thing of fear, 
they will not, they will not lie down. Now, doesn't that knowledge change our view on that verse? If sheep feel fear, anxiety from water, discontentment, hunger, thirst, or they're agitated, will never lie down. Only the shepherd can make the sheep lie down by providing everything the sheep needs to be able to lie down. And what does that mean? Trust. Do the sheep trust the shepherd? But the outside things spook them. We as Christians, it's not about what the shepherd provides for us that makes us lie down, but it's the shepherd himself. It is only when Jesus is our all in all that we find contentment. What did Paul say in Philippians chapter 4? I have learned to be content. He knew what it, he knew what it meant to have an abundance. He knew, he knew what it meant to be hungry, thirsty, broke. But he learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. And it's in verse 13, which most of us could quote. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not to help you get my car started. That's not what that verse is for. It's about being content. That's what it's all about. Are you content with your good shepherd? See, when our desires are off the world and focus on Christ alone, and we hunger for his righteousness, and we thirst for it, that's where life truly begins. And here's another amazing fact about um, people. We'll get to that here in just a second. But point number two is Jesus alone is enough to dry every fear away. Jesus alone is enough to drive every fear away. Sunday school class, we talked a lot about the stuff we go through. Health crisis, my car making this annoying knocking sound. One of the one of the mornings I was coming to church and I was on the interstate and my car just decided not to start working. So I pushed the gas pedal and didn't go. So I had to pull off and turn off, turn it back on like ten times and it finally worked. I was like, Lord, I need to be on church on time, so if you help me out, it'd be great. But but it's it's not just about those things. It's about these other these fears and anxieties and stresses. Uh, and everybody in this room is going through something. Are we lying down in green pastures or are our eyes fixated on and our minds fixed on things on the outside? It's easy to do. Now, here's another interesting fact about sheep. And this made me giggle, but also made me sad in the same breath. The sheep will always self us. If they are in front of nasty contaminated water and 10 feet this way, Good, refreshing, nourishing water, they're going to settle for that pond water, that nasty water. And here's the reality we're not any different. Here we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who gave himself up by dying on a cross for the sake of my salvation at my unpayable debt. And then materialistic, worldly things pop up, and I go, and we run for that, or we settle for it. 
Jesus is the living water, and in him is life, nourishment, and satisfaction of your souls, yet we settle for the cesspool of life. Whether it's a new car, new gal, new guy, promotion, whatever the case may be, we jump on that, and where does that always lead? Repentance and regret. Do not forsake the eternal for temporary. It's not worth it. It's going to lead you back on your knees. Maybe not right away, but eventually it will. Verse 3. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, I'm going to just tell you these next two verses. I have a lot of information here, and I can't wait to share it with you. David, who wrote this psalm, he knew what it was like to be distressed, tempted, anxious, and downcast. Remember Psalm 42:11. Why are you downcast, O my soul? I have to throw my wife in here for a second. She doesn't know what I'm about to say. She was not mad at me, but she, I had an interesting fact for a sheep, and I never said it two weeks ago. So here you go. And this is something very, very interesting. But one of the saddest things a shepherd can see of sheep is that of a cast sheep or a cast down sheep. And that's an old English term for a sheep that is turned over on its back and cannot get up by itself, kind of like a turtle. You've all seen it. It is a very, very pathetic sight. But it's, it's disheartening because if that sheep stays on its back, one, it can't get up by itself. Two, the sheep will die. The sheep will die. But unless the shepherd gets them back on their feet, they're going to perish. And here's the interesting part. It's not the weakest sheep. It's stronger. It's not the ugly sheep. It could be the beautiful one. God has shown us that this was either this was us or is us right now when our eyes are taken off of Christ and fixed on the world. I want you to listen to Psalm 119, 107. It says, I am exceedingly afflicted. David's life was full, full of turmoil. Revive me according to your word. So point number three, God restores what the world cannot, our souls. God restores what the world cannot, our souls. So God in his rich mercy, he gets us back up on our feet so that we can continue under his guidance in the path of righteousness. When we are on the path of righteousness, we need to stay on it with everything that we have and all that we are. Don't look left. Don't look right. What does it say in Hebrews? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And everything we do is for his glory alone. Now, verse 4, we're going to see a transition here. We're at the halfway point, and now we're going to see a shift to first-person language. This is very personal, intimate, and with abundance of deep, deep affection. Shepherds, at times, would have to take long treks with their sheep. And on these treks were countless dangers from steep cliffs, rushing rivers, predators, poisonous plants, robbers, etc. Yet, 
while we are talking about the physical here, you got the physical image in your mind, we cannot neglect the spiritual. The valley of the shadow of death is that of a perilous environment. And as believers, this world. We are on the narrow path. And everybody in this room, if you're on the narrow path, it's hard. It's hard. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but of spiritual dark forces and high places of wickedness. Secular world, our world today, our world is full of temptation that work diligently, it doesn't ever sleep, to cause you and me to stumble, causes us to fall, turn away from following the good shepherd. Hey, look over here. Follow me instead. I can give what you want right now. The world is full of evil. It praises evil and it exalts self. And here's here's the sad part. It's easy to fall into. And God tells us not to fear. Why? Because of our incredible strength, our incredible faith? No. Because God is stronger than anything on this earth, any temptation, any health crisis, and any fiery ordeal that we're going through right now. Do you believe that this morning? And look what it says. I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. He is so, so good to us that he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able to bear. Remember what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13? He will provide a way of escape. Do we take it? Sometimes. God is with us. And that is such a great comfort. And if we have his son, what's better than that? Think about that for just a second. Stop and think. If you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, what more do you, what more do you want? But we sometimes will use God. Hey, Lord, I'm your servant. Can you give me that Mustang over there? I really want it. It's for your glory. Promise. Sometimes the answer is yes, but sometimes it's no. And we have to be content with that. But sometimes in this life, we live as if Jesus isn't enough. And I hope that never is. He has to be our everything. And if he is our everything, nothing in this world can touch us. Now, does that mean that struggle, temptation, disappointment, mourning, pain won't come our way? No. No. But he does promise to always be there with us. As we talked about Sunday morning. But it's not, it's, it's more than that. He gives us the strength to endure. A lot of times we pray, God, please take the situation. Deliver me from this right now. But that's not what he says. He gives you the strength. He gives you the Holy Spirit to comfort you. We're going to get that here in just a minute. But also, here's what he says. My grace is sufficient for you. So he gives you the grace to endure whatever you're going through. And I, I know some of us are going through really hard times in this room right now. Let me just say this. There's two things here. One, we can't see the finish line, but God does. It's going to be for your sanctification. And also, it's for his glory. 
If David was plucked out of Egypt, millions of people would have died. So his brothers meant what they did to him for evil, but God meant it for good. Never forget that. So in uh, in this verse here, this is this is really deep, isn't it? Now we read. See, this is why we can't read past these things. So what is the rod and the staff? I was just wondering about that. The rod is an extension of the shepherd's right arm. It is a symbol of power, strength, and authority. And it was used to defend themselves when the flock was in danger. There's also a way to discipline and correct the sheep that wanted to go their own way. The rod is God's word. His word is the absolute authority in our lives because what? All scripture is God breathed. Every single word in this book is from the mind, mouth of God. When we read, thus says the Lord, we don't, oh, that doesn't apply to me. Remember, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? His word is a fire that refines, a knife that prunes, a hammer that shatters the rock, a mirror that makes us self-examine. A double-edged sword that pierces the deepest parts of our soul. When we read it in Scripture, thus says the Lord, keep in mind that when God speaks, we listen. He commands, we obey. He says stay, we stay. He says go, we go. Now, you've heard this many times on this pulpit before. I'm going to say it again. This book here will keep you from sin. Or sin will keep you from this book. The sheep that stray willingly yet quote scripture, pray for them. Pray for them. I was watching a survival show, and the survivor guy had just a, just a rod, just a little stick, about two, three feet, and here you have a poisonous snake coming up. And he took that stick and bashed him over the head with it. Well, where are you going with that? When Jesus was in the wilderness, when he was tempted by Satan, the serpent, what did he use? Did he throw a rock at it or at, at Satan? No. Did he throw a stick at him? No. He used scripture. It is written. It is written. It is written. So why is that? When fear comes upon you, when enemies arise, when life feels like it's swallowing you whole, remember this. There is no substitute for the word of God. It will strengthen you in your greatest hour of need. Now, what about the staff? The staff is what the shepherd is famously known for. It's how you identify a shepherd. No other uh, profession carries such an item. It is unique for sheep alone. You can't use it for pigs or cows. But it's uniquely for the sheep and the management of sheep. And the staff is a symbol of the concern and compassion that a shepherd has for his charges. The best word to describe the staff is comfort, for comfort. The staff is important because it does this. It draws the sheep in for close, personal examination. But it could also be for guidance. The staff guides the sheep to the correct path, through the gate, or through dangerous paths. 
The tip of the staff was used to gently apply pressure to the side of the sheep, whatever the way that the shepherd desires. Now, the staff is also symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides us, comforts us with gentle correction. The Holy Spirit is called our comforter. He draws us all together from different walks of life and draws us all together his son. The staff was lastly used for closeness with the sheep. Now, this is something I did not know, and I, I couldn't wait to share this with you. But it drew the sheep close in so they were in touch. So while they were walking side by side, they would look, it looked like they would be hand in hand. This is the intimacy that God desires from us. Jesus, Jesus said in John 16, 13, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Holy Spirit is revealer of truth. He guides us in the truth and enables us to obey. All with the sweetest of grace, that of a loving father that he has for his children. And as we humbly submit to that, we get a sense of safety, comfort, and well-being. So point number four, there is nothing to fear because God is near. That was unintentional rhyming, by the way. So, now we're at the verse 5. We're almost at the finish line here. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. So what David is doing here is he is portraying a close relationship to God as an honored dinner guest of a generous and capable host. As a gracious host, the Lord attends to David's every need, showering him with personal care, abundant goodness, Protection from his enemies and eternal blessing. So we know David had many, many adversaries. But in the presence of the Lord, seated at his table, they posed no threat because David had guest rights with the Lord. What does that mean? Well, in the ancient East, a host was obligated to safeguard his visitors from all enemies at all costs. Changes that, that understanding of that verse. Now, what about anoints? You anoint my head with oil. That could, that could be symbolized with David's gladness of his heart. Oil is a couple places in the Bible, Isaiah 61, 3 and Hebrews 1, 9. talks about anointing that it's with joy. David felt so blessed by his host's gracious abundance, always providing more than he needs. Doesn't God provide more than we need? He loves you. And he provides for you. That his cup was at the at the spilling point. I want you to think of a cup underneath the waterfall. Always overflowing. Always overflowing. Psalm 45, 7. God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. We are overjoyed in the presence of our Lord and, what, and, the, and the things he's done for us. And one of the God's wills for our lives is us to be thankful. Are we thankful for what he's done? Are we thankful that he took us from a life of sin and eternal damnation and brought us in as a lost sheep? So you're searching for the 99. Are we grateful for that? So point number five, God's provision is overwhelmingly abundant. And as we start to get to the close here, verse six, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this is the summation of all the verses prior. 
David has spoken of the, of the care and goodness of his shepherd. A true sheep are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Know that they're of their privileged position. And we talked about this a lot. It is a privilege. And we talked about this earlier, but what more can we want? Goodness and loving kindness will follow you all the days of your life, even when you're going through the worst of times. So instead of saying, ah, the sky is falling, we could say, yes, it is. But loving kindness and goodness will follow me. Why? Because God is good. He is good. Now, I want to point out here this last verse, or the last part of the verse, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A lot of times we read these verses, and, and like I said before, we read it with like, no, I've read it before. But I want you to think about this for a minute, where you're at right now. Here's what it says. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Point six, the final one, is our home is in heaven for all eternity. Our home is in heaven for all eternity. This is not it. This is not your best life now. Can we enjoy this life? Sure. But far too many times we pray for physical healings. Continue to do that. Lord, my neighbor is yelling at me. Throwing sticks in my yard. My car makes that weird tapping noise. Okay, Nate, stop with the tapping noise. We get it. But here's where we're at. Those things are going to be done away with. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not a, not a couple days stay. We have in-laws coming to visit or family. Okay, it's been three days. They're leaving stuff on the floor. They're doing this and that. It's time for you to go. You overstayed your welcome. You're going to be in the house of the Lord forever. And that's what that's what our focus needs to be. And here's the thing. We don't desire to go to heaven because we're going to reunite with relatives. We don't want to go to heaven because of the treats of gold. We go because God is there. We will see Christ, who is our great shepherd, who has guided us every single step along the way. And what's amazing about, about God is he is so patient with us, even when we stray. Even when we stray. The one who forgave us all of our debts that, that we couldn't repay, the one who has made who has made sin on our behalf, he is Jesus is called the wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and redemption. So it's not about what's waiting in heaven for us, it's who's waiting for us in heaven. So As we close today, I'm going to leave you with this. Today is the day for salvation. If you've been wrestling with this, make that decision today. Do not let this wonderful moment of God drawing you to himself pass you by. Heaven's gates are swung wide open. Here's what Jesus says in John 6:37: The one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. That's a promise. We've all been rejected by somebody at some point. We come to him. We're repentant. 
We put our complete trust and faith in Him and Him alone. We confess Him as our Lord. He will not cast you out. And I love John 14, 6, and that's what we're going to close with today. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why I love that verse is because it is, you can't, you can't twist it. You can't make anything what it is. He is the way. And he is a, he is a way in all things. He's the way in and out of things. He is the truth in all things. And he is the one that gives life to our dead, dying souls so that we can be alive with him. And one day, one day, when these bodies, because they're starting to wear out, starting to get aches and pains in weird places, things are falling, falling apart. But one day, we'll be made just like him. And here's the thing. Sometimes it's easy saying that when you're healthy. It's a whole other ballgame saying it when things are going really bad. But you think about this. What's the worst thing that could possibly happen to you on this earth? You get sick and you die. But the final breath you take on this earth, when you open your, when you close your eyes on this earth, your eyes are going to open to your Savior that's waiting for you. So whatever, whatever comes our way, He's waiting. And it's like, I have eagerly awaited you, son and daughter. And everything that we feared on this earth is going to be done away with because Christ is right before me. We always have to have that mindset of eternity. So I appreciate all of you and thank you for, for being eager to hear God's word. And it, it does me a lot of good to, to be able to, to study this deeply. I know, it, I know it's a lot, but Jesus is everything. Everything, everything. And if he is not your everything, repent from that today. Ask yourself in your mind, is he my all in all? Is he my everything? If not, what's, what idol is causing a division between you and him? What does Paul say, which is the Holy Spirit? Run from idols. Let's pray. God in heaven, you are a good shepherd. We were under the destruction of false shepherds until you sent your son Jesus Christ to be our good shepherd. And Lord, we spent many, many times, many years running away from you. Let us spend the rest of our life running back to you, eagerly following you with everything that we have, all that we are, every breath that we have, every heartbeat that you've given us, Help us to follow you, Lord, because you know the way, because you are the way. Pray for every single person in this room right now, that the word would penetrate their hearts. If anybody here has not made that decision to follow you, that they would repent and turn to you, Lord, for eternal life. For this life is solely for your son. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you do for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.